let's head into the Word of God. Uh, we're in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to uh, read this together in a minute, but uh, I, I want to just kind of go over our series. It's, it's Heaven Came Down is what our series uh, is, is for the Christmas season. And uh, talking about the, that heaven, the, this perspective from heaven, that God came to earth, right? It's, not, it's, it's a lot about the manger. We have nativity sets around, but there's more to the manger than that. And we really want to unpack that and, and look at the manger in a grand way and look at Christmas in a more grand way. Uh, sometimes, I mentioned last week, we kind of do some window shopping with Christmas a little bit. We, we do a little bit of um, uh, like picking and choosing, like I want this part of Jesus and not this one, and oh, this, this story in the Bible, but I want these presents and these, these drinks and this food. And, and we make it about this festivity, but not really focus in on the grandeur and glory of the gospel, and that's Jesus during Christmas. So last week we talked about uh, the, this part in Philippians where Paul showed us that, that um, God right, humbled himself. So we saw the, the, the glory of Christ, we looked at the glory of Christ, and we looked at the humility of Christ. Those were the two aspects last week. And what we're going to do today as we head into John, we're, we're moving from Paul over to John, and to see what is John describing this, and what does this look like, and we're going to unpack the glory of Christ a little more. And I want us to see that because we want to see the grandeur and glory of God uh, during Christmas time. Uh, last week, just as a reminder, when we talked about the glory of Christ and we talked about the humility of Christ, we talked about the glory of Christ. We, saw, we said seeing him in his glory uh, means that we should see him as worth it, as valuable, as, as someone to be sought after and to be embraced. That when we, when we do our window shopping for Christmas, he should be at the top of our list, right? Everything we do should permeate Christ, and then everything else falls into place after that, and you can add things in. But Jesus is always first and preeminent. Uh, we should be amazed at his involvement, right, in, in humanity as the glory of God came down to earth. And we say, I'm in, I'm with him. But then seeing in, him, in his humility, it shows us that he came to help us, right? That, that God is God, and that's amazing. We want God, but God had to put on flesh because of you, and God had to put on flesh because of me. Uh, we, in our sin, were lost and desperately wicked. We needed salvation. We needed rescue. And, and the whole world, we talked about how the whole world is grasping, grasping at something, trying to be God, trying to earn it, trying to be good enough. And God himself said, I'm not going to even try to grasp. I already am good enough, but I'm going to come down in your place and do what you could never do. That's the glory of Christmas, right? The glory of Christ and then the humility of Christ coming in the flesh. So today, we're going to be talking about the glory of Christ a little more. And then next week, we're going to look more at the flesh of Christ and see uh, what that means, the bread that came down from heaven. So today, we're looking at the word, the word becoming flesh. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into the text in John chapter 1. Father, I thank you so much for... Uh, the opportunity, again, you give us to come and to hear from your word. God, to come and to worship you, to come to pray to you, and to, and to pray for those around us, and, and God, the, the, the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters all around the world who, God, are under extreme pressure. God, we thank you for those opportunities. We ask now that you would open our hearts and our minds. God, that by your, by your spirit you would draw us into right thinking about you, the truth of scripture. God, that we would see you for who you really are, God, we would embrace you. We'd see us for who we really are, God. We would repent of our sin. God, we would humble ourselves and turn to you in faith, God, and, and be filled and be fulfilled by the fullness of God that dwells bodily in Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. We worship him, and God, we want to become more like him. So God, we pray for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses... 1 through 5, and I'm going to jump down to 14. I need to turn there first. <clears throat> John chapter 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. Amen? Powerful, powerful passage of Scripture here. And, and today we are looking at the Word becoming flesh. So we're looking at the Word. And, and this Greek term is logos. And we're going to dive into that a little bit and see what does that mean. And we're going to look at some background on that. So that's number one. The number, number one is this. We need to understand the Word, understand the background of the Word. There are two essences here. There's, there's two audiences. And the question we have to, uh, to ask ourselves is why was John, or who was John writing to, and why did he use this terminology? Why was he using this terminology? Right, well, he knows he has Greek and Jewish hearers listening. So he uses this term, and the Greek term is logos, and, he, and, and it's a term that comes from a Hebrew word that the Jews would know, dabar. And it's, it's, one of the, it's a word that means uh, something grand and, and beautiful, and I want to kind of unpack some of that today. We'll start with the, with the Greeks, though. Okay, let's, let's look at the understanding, though. Look, um, in ver- verse 1 of chapter 1, let's look at what does it say. What is, how does he use this? He says, in the beginning was the word. So the word was in the beginning, right? And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Using this grand picture, and this is really looking at the Trinity of God, the nature of God, and it's it's a beautiful display, and I it's a mysterious display, and and for you and I to ever even say we could fully understand the Trinity, I think we would lie to ourselves, right? Right? There's one God. We read read that this morning, in, or in the opening uh, reading in in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter six, right? But we, as we see now, there's one God, but now we see that, that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wait, how does that work? How do you be something but be with something? That's the mystery of the Trinity, right? It's a glorious mystery. Within the one God, there are three persons sharing one nature forever, right? From the beginning. The Word is the communication of the Father. All of God's fullness, right, was told to dwell in Christ's uh, body. So that... Uh, we should. What, what do we do with this? What do we do with this idea of the Trinity, right? Well, there, there's this idea of what, what it's communicating, and, and the Word is what is com- communicating what is of God's nature. So let's look at this, this word, the Word, and see what it means in, in this Greek background. So there's a concept here, the word logos, the Greek background. It, it was, no, and I really had to shorten this. Bubba so gratefully gave me tons of notes on this, right, as he would like we do at Sunday school. Right, I had to condense it a little bit. For me, <laughs> it's this, this key concept. So Logos is this key concept that has, has been used to explain the nature of reality. It's a concept used to explain the nature of reality. It's, it's trying to make sense of what is bigger than we can make sense of, potentially, right? And going further than that, it's, it's not just the act of speaking, right? When we say the word, it's like someone spoke. Well, it's not just someone spoke. 
not just the, the act of speaking, but the communication of thought. So when we logos, right, it's the communication of thought, it's the communication of reason, it's the communication of true reality. Right? There's, there's a speaking that we do. I love it with my kids, right? We speak something, and then they ask the question, why? Right? So I said it, but now they want to know why. That They're looking for the logos, the reason, the nature. Of what's behind this, Dad? And if I was a good dad, right, I want, to, I want to share that. I should probably share that ahead of time. Here's what this means. Here's the heart of the issue. The, the, it's communicating thought, reason, and the true reality. It, and it communicates the soul of the individual. Right? The logos communicates the soul. It's like what's inside or the soul of the matter, not just the, the matter at hand, but, but the, the matter in, the, in, in all of the universe and, and, and the, the nature of what we see. Because what we see is a reflection of an ultimate reality. Right now, the idea of Logos is right now we see in, in a mirror dimly, and one day we'll see it clearly. So we see a reflection, a pale reflection, and we try to be able to explain it. It's like if we saw a beautiful picture, even printed on canvas in, in 4K, extra clear resolution, right, of, of space or of a, a nebula. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But it's just a snapshot of what? The greater picture. So in, in philosophical terms, in the Greek, they're, they're really wanting to, to understand this in a deep way, like, oh, we've got to get the logos going here. Let's, let's talk and reason and, and, and see how, how we can, can identify and see what is really going on even more clearly here. They wanted to endeavor to do that. So their hope was to seek more clearly what was reality and what was true in life or in reality. Right? Do, you, do you get that a little bit? Logos. So when John says in the beginning it was the word, they're like, oh, they perked up. What? Wait, wait, what? We want to know that. We want to know the word. We want to know the logos. Give us more clarity on that. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Oh, man. okay, now you're, you're rallying me up. You're speaking my language, right? And the word was God. Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. And, and he's going to tell us more about who God is, right? He was with God in the beginning. So that's the Greek side. Their ears are perked up. What about the Jewish side? It's, it's going back to this word, dabar. And we see it in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the words of God that we should write on our heart, and they had this essence in mind, but it even became more clear when the Ten Commandments were given, that word dabar was used, and this word of God is powerful, and here are the commandments of God, right? It's the authority of God, the true nature of God. I want to read a few verses here, and it's in your notes as well. I'll bust through these fairly quickly, but I want us to see how it was used, so how the Jews would have thought. What, 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 what is the word equate for a Jew, right? It's, it's revealing, revealing the essence and power and nature of God. So Psalm 33, 4, the word of the Lord is right. That word, dabar, the word of the Lord is right. So it's straight and it's true. Going on, it says in verse 6, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord. So right, we're building a background. We're building a, a kind of a framework of what did they know about the word? What did they believe about the word? Well, it was str- true. It was straight. It was right. It was powerful and creative, but not just an idea. It wasn't like, oh, I have really good ideas and sketches. The word created itself. It acted. In Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. So the word is what? The word is now eternal, right? We see the word is not something that's just, oh, someone came up with an idea. It's a great new book. There'll be one out next season. The word of the Lord will endure forever. So the, the Jewish people knew this, and they, they, it resonated with them that, that Dabar, the Word, was powerful and straight and true and eternal. 
Going on in Psalm 147, he, uh, he sends his commands throughout the earth. His word runs swiftly. It's amazing. Throughout every corner, every crevice, every nook and cranny, the word is there. It is purposeful and it is everywhere. It does exactly what God intended. And in fact, that's what the next one is, Isaiah 55. And it gives a description in 10. Just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. Now, this is amazing, right? This is what the, the water does, the rain does. God sends it, and it produces a ton of fruit. So just like that's happening, so my word, so to my word, the dabar, that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will uh, prosper in uh, and will prosper in what I send it to do. See how powerful it is. The word of the God goes out, and it, it's determinate. It does exactly what God intended it to do. So this is what they're, the Jews know. They they understand the dabar of God, and the Greeks are like, "Wow, you have this this clearer picture. We want this clearer picture." They're kind of both on the edge of their seats, right? And what builds from dabar is that God is is revealing, and what builds from logos is that God is revealing His hidden nature or hidden self, to those in the world. Isn't that amazing? His hidden nature, his hidden self, like the, the idea, the existential concept of God is now being revealed to you and me. That's Christmas. That's Jesus in the manger. That's God, the Word, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. See, his Word is the outward expression of his true reality or godness. And I want us to think about this. What does it mean in terms for us? They have this idea, I want this clearer reality. I want a clearer picture so I can know better truth. And you and I do that in similar ways. We have those reasoning debates. I want to, I want to see more clearly. Sometimes we don't, right? We, we, we do, and we admit we do, and then we, we say we do, but we really don't. Like, I really don't want to know if I'm really wrong because I really like living the way I'm living, right? I might say it, oh yeah, if I was wrong, I'd want to know. Well, then you better figure it out, right? Go really look for that. But, but we, we also carry this, this fairy tale, what if lifestyle. And, and the what ifs mostly revolve around if I was better or different, or if people were better or different, or if my circumstances were better or different, then it would be better or different for me. It would be what I'd hoped it could be or what I've dreamed it could be. And it's not quite the Disney fairy tale thing, but it might be in some cases. But ultimately, it's like we, we want something deeper, better, clearer, and we're trying as hard as we can to get there ourselves. Or we blame our circumstances or our life and say we can't get there because of X, Y, and Z. All the while, for you and I, the idea of logos, the, the, the reflection of a true reality, God is that for us. God is that fix. God solves the what-ifs. God says, I, I came down so you could be fully fulfilled through my fullness, not through what you perceive as your fullness or what you perceive as your neighbor or your friend or your, your circumstances being better. He says, I, I am the better once you just embrace me. So that's a little application for Logos for you and I. Uh, the Greeks are like, wow, what, what is he going to say next? And the Jews are like, I know what the word means to me. And now you're saying the word is coming and dwelling among us. So this is kind of interesting. But for you and I, 
We've got to stop setting aside those what ifs. Now, certainly we should discipline ourselves in some ways and be obedient to the scriptures and, and not, not be doing something different to create more what ifs for ourselves. But we need to stop saying, well, if only this happened or if only I could do this or if only I was smarter or better or had more degrees, we've got to stop that and say, you know what? God is enough for me. God is, in fact, everything I need. Amen? So the word, right? This is talking about the depth of the word. And, and understanding that, it's, it's, it's the, this is the same role that Christ plays for us. He's the exact representation, representation of God for us. Won't we just humble ourselves and embrace God? Heaven came down for us. God in the flesh is here. So that leads us to number two. We, first of all, we saw, number one, we understood the word, a little bit of the background of the word logos, and then we go into number two. The word is the exact expression of God's nature. The word is the exact expression of God's nature. Going back to John 1, and 1 through 2, in the beginning was the word. So we see the eternality of the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Right? This is an amazing thing, this exact expression of God's nature. So when the word is, is with God, and the word is God, and now the word is with us, right? we have the exact representation of God now with us. I'm going to read some of that. We see Jesus stating this for himself uh, in John 14. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father so that that's enough for us. And, and Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and, and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What's Jesus saying? I and the Father are one, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, for some, those are fighting words, right? That, you can't say that. You're, you're not God. No, He is. He is God. He's the exact representation of God. He's the Word who was with God and was in the beginning and was, was God. And now He's God with us. And we see this played out as Christ continually said something else about Himself. He continually made these statements of, I am. And we're going to look at those quickly. Let's go back a little background there. For, for any of those Jews who would kind of turn their minds on and say, well, what, what was going on? What, how, you can't say that because they knew exactly what Jesus meant. Why? Because that's how God explained himself. When Moses went to the burning bush and got, he said, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And then what did Moses ask? He said, who should I tell them that sent me? What did God say? Tell them I am has sent you. Tell them I am sends you. See, God reveals himself to his people and, and, in this way and he comes to redeem them out of exile and to lead them to a new life. Right? And God's, God's name discloses who he is. So when Jesus says, I am, he's disclosing who he is. When God says, I'm I am, he says, I'm the eternal. I'm the unchanging. I'm the self-existent one. I'm infinite and glorious in every way. I am above and beyond all things created. I am God. That's who God is. That's who God said to Moses, go tell them that's who I am. And then Jesus knows that, and, and Jesus says all these I am statements, and the, the Jews are like, what is going on? You keep saying this, and he meant it. Here's what he said in John 6, 35. I am the bread and the life. No one who comes to me will ever go hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. We're going to talk really in depth about that next week. I know Bubba mentioned that a little bit at Sunday school. John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 
I am the gate. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and we'll come out and go out, go, come in and go out and find pasture. He's, he, he says, I'm the gate. I am God. It's only through me. John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then verse 14, uh, as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for my sheep. Then John 11, Jesus told her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked a question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The question wasn't, do you believe you can live again? The question was, do you believe that I am the I am who can make you live again because I'm God? That's the question. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love verse 7. We always go to verse 6, right, on the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because the word is the exact expression of God's nature dwelling bodily. Where? Amongst us. It's God amongst us. When, see, when Jesus applies the title, I am to himself, he claims to be God. And, and they would know this. He's not, not a helper to God, not just a good teacher, but he is the divine. He is the eternal, the preexistent, infinite, perfect God. He is Israel's God. The same God that, that told Moses to go get my people and bring them out of Egypt. The Jews knew taking on this title was making him much more than they wanted him to be. In fact, that's why they ultimately called for him to be put to death. You are calling yourself God. That's blasphemy. We're going to kill you. There's one more I am statement. Because you might be thinking, Brandon, why are you saying these I am statements? We're talking about the word. How does this connect, right? Well, the word, again, we understood it, right? It's the, it's the reflection of a deeper reality, the image of the deeper reality. So we have the word as Jesus in the flesh in front of us. He is the exact representation of God in that reality. So we see him face to face as the great I am. But I love this last I am thing. This was something that, that Bubba showed me, an amazing, amazing truth here. And John, go turn there actually, John 15 in your Bible. It's really, really an important thing. And I, I, sometimes you have to go back to the Greek just to make sure it's, it's understood the way it was supposed to be written. John 15, 1. First five words. It says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. What's interesting here is that, that the word true is actually not, not supposed to be being used as a descriptive for vine. Right? right? We see this, it's like, oh, that's an adjective. He's a true vine. It's not. The, the way it reads is, I am the vine, the true. That's the way it reads in Greek. I am the vine, the true. So if I were you, and like I did in mine, I would, I would put a little line over the and just draw an arrow to true, and then go back and grab it again and draw an arrow from the to vine. So when you read it and remember it, you're going to say, oh, it, I am the true and the vine. Okay? Why is that important? Because him saying I am was 
deep enough. And then him saying, I am the true, was again, connecting these dots all over again back to the word, back to logos. And, and I want to read what the definition here is of this Greek word, which isn't logos, but it's very, it sounds very similar to what we're talking about. Get this, the true. That which has not the name and resemblance only. Resemblance, reflection, right? It's, it does not have the name and resemblance only, but the real nature corresponding to the name in every aspect, in every respect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real, true, and genuine. What does that sound like? He is the what? The Word. The Logos. He is the exact representation of God now with us. Isn't that amazing? I am the true. I am the vine. He is God with us. Jesus as the Word is the great I am. And, and listen, there is no one else or nowhere else for us to turn. We, we need to know that. When we, when we come to the nativity, when we come to look at baby Jesus in a manger with, with angels and shepherds and wise men around, we, we need to get that that picture, that depiction is what should be in our hearts. Kneeling before the, the King, the God, the great I am who, who is the exact representation of God and He is with us. Next week, we're going to really dive deep into the why behind that and what, was really, what, he, what he really offered us. Today, we're just seeing the grandeur of God, the glory of God. And I want to go into the next point, though. Number three, the word is the power of God. So we're going to dive in there a little bit, the power of God. So we see, we see the word, we understood the word, and Logos and Dabar, and we've got the background there. Now we see that, that Jesus claims he is the exact representation of God. He is the Logos. He is the true. He is the great I am. And now we see the power of God. Right? The word, the Logos, is the power of God. We look back to John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. I think there's some powerful aspects here to the word, to the Logos. One thing we see is that, again, that creativeness, that, that idea, even that dabar, we understood that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were created, right? He spoke it into existence. When John says, in the beginning was the word, he uses that phrase, in the beginning. Where do we see that again? In the beginning, in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? By his spoken word. There's power in the word of God. There's power to create. So, and it says in John that, that nothing was created without him. All things have been created by him and through him. And Colossians says, and for him. In him then was life, and that life was the light of men. I, I want us to see that a little more in depth too. Right? John is reminding us that God created by speaking and that Jesus is the word and that, that all things were created through him. And then he switches gears into this, this life and the power of life giving. And, and, and we see that in creation, that's what was made, right? Life. Jesus, the life, made life. But he also made eternal life a possibility and a reality for us. And, and in Hebrews, we see this, talking about the flesh and blood that Jesus has in common with us, because he put on flesh. He shared in those things so that through his death, right through his offering, so Jesus, baby Jesus in a manger, ultimately offered himself 
to die on a cross for my sins and your sins in our place. That what? That, that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. Now interesting, right? We have a phrase that says, the one holding the power of death. Well, does he really hold the power of death? Well, apparently he holds the power of death, but, but for Jesus, who came, he's God in the flesh, he came to destroy the one with the power. So is Satan really the one with the power? No, because Jesus can destroy him, right? So he came to destroy the one holding the power, that is the devil, and to free those. So not just to destroy Satan and the, and the power he has, but to free those, you and I, who were held in slavery all our lives by the fear of death. So Satan has the he has the power of death, and he, he holds on to you and I because of our sin, and the wages of sin is death, and it holds us down, and it weighs us down, and, and we're slaves, the Scriptures say, to sin until we turn to faith in Christ. And then it, through faith in Christ, he destroys the one holding the power of death and frees all of us who were held in slavery all our lives by the fear of death. You see that power that the Word has? That, that not only does he, does he give life, he gives eternal life life and frees us from the power of death that's why we see john say that in him was life john's telling us that creation and life came from god directly in christ and eternal life came and freed us from the hold that satan had through the wages of sin he brings life the power of god the power of the word also brings light right he is the light and darkness cannot overcome or comprehend that light. The, the darkness will not prevail over Jesus. Listen, the sun sets every single day for us. As much as we want it maybe to stay up a little longer, stay up a little longer, it kind of does, right? It goes back around. But ultimately it sets. The sun of God does not set on the horizon. The sun of God and the light of the sun of God prevails over the darkness always. He will always prevail over the darkness even if the darkness kills him, the darkness will not prevail. Why? Because Christ rose victoriously because life is in him. Darkness can no more overcome Jesus than creation can, can overcome the creator. Here's another snapshot of this, this powerful name, the word, and the power behind it. I want to show one more of those in Revelation chapter 19. Here Jesus is actually called the word again. He's called the Word of God. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written on him that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, the Logos of God. Then the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords you know, when we talk about a series a christmas series what better image is it than this to, to set our hearts and our minds on the fact that heaven did come down that god came 
and dwelt amongst us. That God came from heaven. I, I, I just, I never, for me, I never want the story of Christmas. I never want the, the, the reading of the Christmas story. I never want the, the, the children's books or the, even just the songs we might sing here and there. I never want them to be lackadaisical anymore. I want them to, to reveal to my heart, to my, my family's heart, the grandeur of God, the glory of God, that God is with us. You know, we don't just look at the manger. We don't just look at the manger with warm fuzzies. Right? We come to it broken, and we come to it bowing before the King of kings and Lord of lords, God who came to earth for us. And that's the final thing about the Word we'll see in verse 14. Number four, the Word dwells with us. We jump down to to verse 14 through 18. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because He existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, has revealed Him, made Him known to us. Amazing. He dwelt among us. I want you to look at verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The next word is we. We. In my mind, I had to ask the question, who's the we? Who's the we that John's talking about, right? Of course, it's John, and it's John the baptizer, and it's, it's the apostles, and it's those who came to believe. If we look at this a little more in depth, we actually look at what we missed in verses 10 through 13. If you just go back up a minute, in John 1, who's the we? That's the question we're looking at now. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. I, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. That we see Jesus, he's lying in the manger, and we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Christmas will be taken down in about a month. And he'll be out of our minds. They did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, here's the we. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but who were born of God. There's something marvelous about God pursuing us, God revealing himself to us, God tabernacling amongst us. It, it's, and, and that word, when God dwelt among us, it was he pitched a tent or he, made, he built the tabernacle. And for, for Jews, they would have known that, that when the tabernacle was built and it was a tent, it was moved and set up, and it was moved and set up. But that was where God's glory resided. That was where the presence of God was, and that's where he dwelled with his people. So when John says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, it means God came to earth and, and is now with his people. And, and I want to be one of the we's. I want you to be one of the we's. Who are they? We observed His glory. So uh, get this, the, the we's will observe His glory. They'll, they'll see that they need to be born of God. They'll see the depth of their sin and the sorrow because of their sin. They'll see Jesus for His 
fullness, full of grace and truth. The we's observed His glory as the one and only Son sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. I hope you're one of the we's. They're those who have received Him and been born of God. They're the ones who see His light. And when they see His light, they don't hide and cower and, and say, oh, don't, don't shine on me. They see His light as the glory of God shining on them. And they marvel in Him. And, and they admire Him. And they find Him as most desirable. See, the we's are the ones that realize that heaven came down for them. That God took on flesh and made a way for them to be made right with Him. Have you? Are you one of the we's? Do you see God as glorious in that way? Or do you still find Him as frightening? Maybe a little bit of both is okay, right? But you fear God. But we fear God because He is the glorious one. He's the great I am. He's the creator of everything. And He came down to do what you were incapable of doing. I, I, I tell you every year at Christmas that this tiny baby in a manger is the biggest rebuke to any person on, in all of humanity. What we couldn't do in our strongest state, in our most capable state, God came down in the form of a baby and could do better. And he did. He put on that flesh and He did better all His life. Then He offered Himself in my place where I should have died. In your place where you should have died, where you were destined to die. But he offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine, that if we would believe in him, turn from our own self, turn, turn from grasping to try to be God and to, to earn it ourselves, acknowledge him for who he is, not just a little baby in a story lying in a manger, but the God of the universe, that we would have salvation, that we would have freedom in Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't just stay in the manger. And he didn't just stay in Nazareth. And when he died, he didn't just stay in the grave. Because he is God with us, he rose victoriously. He is the exact expression of God's nature and all of God's fullness resides in him and all of God's power. He rose victoriously. He is God. And at Christmas, we remember, we acknowledge and we embrace that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray and continue to worship the Lord? <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for not only the word of God, the Bible, but the logos of God. That you are the exact representation of God in bodily form. And God, that you came uh, to dwell with us as Christ. We thank you that you are the glorious one. You are the great I am. You are the word, but, and you are the true. God, help us to embrace you. Not to embrace our own ideas of you, God, but to embrace you for who you are and who you say you are and who you reveal yourself to be. You are the Savior who came and humbled himself and put on flesh for us. God, we believe. Increase our faith. Increase our delight in the glory of God. Increase our desire to exalt Him more and more. God, we could never exalt You enough. 
Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves every day. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.